so we've got good news and bad news. The good news is your student loan balance might be going way down. The bad news is if the Biden administration can't prevail in court, there's a chance that balance could go right back up. Stay tuned and we'll explain it all. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So is there a word for when a loan gets forgiven, but then that forgiveness gets taken back? Is the loan de-forgiven, anti-forgiven? For the purposes of this podcast, we're just going to call it an unforgiven loan. And the reason we need to come up with that term is because there's a non-zero chance that the student loans President Biden said he would forgive last week will get, well, unforgiven by a judge. As you probably know, nearly everything the executive branch does can and often is challenged in court. And Bloomberg Law reporters Stu Basu and Courtney Rosen recently did a story about how the student loan forgiveness program might hold up in court. What they found was that things look murky at best. Courtney usually covers the White House for us, but I brought her into the studio to talk about some of the potential legal vulnerabilities here. And first, I asked her to get us all up to speed and explain exactly how the president's loan forgiveness program is designed to work. The president last week put forward a plan for student loans. Eligible are people who are not in the future going to borrow, but people who have already borrowed. We're looking at people who, as a single person, make $125,000 a year or less, and then households that make $250,000 a year or less. So there's there's an income cap there. Correct. And how much can they get forgiven? So it's up to $20,000 off your balance. That depends on your financial situation when you went into college. So if you qualified for a Pell Grant, which are families or people from households with extremely low incomes, you qualify for the $20,000 relief. If you did not qualify for a Pell Grant, it could be $10,000. Got it. So I want to get into how President Biden did this, because this wasn't you know, uh, through the signing of a bill. He just announced, I'm doing this. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit. What laws did the president rely on to provide a legal justification for taking this step? The president is using a law that was passed shortly after 9-11. It was passed in 2003. And the idea behind that law was that people who were going to serve overseas could get a break on their student debt. The idea was is if there's some kind of emergency, which in this case was a war, or some kind of natural disaster that the education department could use this as the justification to forgive, tweak the requirements of student debt. So the president is saying by using this law, he's saying COVID-19 is an emergency. And under that emergency, I can forgive student debt. I can tweak the requirements. I can tweak repayment plans. And that's the same justification that President Trump used, that Biden used for the last almost two years to put the pause on student loan payments. And just to clarify, does the law, does this this law that was passed after 9-11, does it clarify a time period, you know, for six months after an emergency or a year after emergency? Or is it just emergency happens and then the president can at any time take this action on student loans? I'm actually not aware on that. I know that the law, at least some of the criticism has been that this was designed for an emergency. And could you argue that we're no longer in a COVID-19 emergency when you're looking at, you know, the president announced this week that they're going to scale back COVID testing. Their places are open. We're not wearing masks anymore at the same amount. 
So he's using COVID as an emergency in this stance and that or in this case, and that might be shaky legal ground. Well, spe- speaking of that, uh, that's not just your opinion. That's also the opinion of Jed Sugarman, a law professor at Fordham University, who you spoke with. And he was pretty you know, unswayed by the arguments that the Biden administration used here. Can you talk a little bit about what he told you? Yeah. So my colleague Stu actually spoke to him. He is an administrative law expert, law professor. And his argument and argument of a lot of folks that are looking at the legal justification for this decision is that, is COVID-19 truly an emergency anymore? Is there anything else in the law out there in statute that you could use to justify this decision? Because this 2003 law designed for military is not it. Yeah. And the other thing that that I saw that he brought up in the story is this major questions doctrine, where this is an evolving area of law that says, you know, unless Congress specifically says something in a bill, they didn't want this to happen. So, you know, unless Congress specifically said, if there is a pandemic, you can forgive student loans, then you can't go around sort of hunting for ambiguities in the law. Is that is that also something that could come into play here that that, you know, the law was vague and therefore it doesn't you know may not translate to student loan forgiveness? For sure. And that's an ideology. If you look at the Supreme Court of the justices that President Trump appointed um, and then the other conservative justices, so six of them, if you have read any Supreme Court opinion in the last 18 months, it has to do with whether a president exceeded his legal authority, the authority given to him by Congress. That's the term that comes up as major questions doctrine, this idea that Congress should resolve major questions in the law, not the executive branch. And we've seen the president rely on old laws, I'll call them, or laws that were not necessarily written for COVID several times over the last year and a half. I mean, he did it for the eviction moratorium when he wanted to pause evictions. He found a law to do it when he wanted to uh, require COVID-19 vaccines in employees at big employers, uh, found a law that he used to justify it. And then the Supreme Court has constantly pushed back and said, no, sir, this is not what the law was written to say. Another issue here, another wrinkle in whether or not this, uh, you know, student loan forgiveness will survive in court is that the Trump administration's education department, right before uh, Trump left office, issued a legal ruling saying that it specifically could not do this. It cannot forgive student loans using the emergency authority. And when the Biden administration came into office, as you reported, it just rescinded this. Is Could that be a problem? You know, it seems like that would be a pretty big piece of evidence in a court case against this, right? Yeah. The, I mean, the biggest question in a court case against this is who has the standing to be the plaintiff? Is it a, an aggrieved taxpayer who is aggravated that someone got student loan relief and they, that person didn't? Is it a bank? Is it an attorney general from a state? I mean, someone's got to come up with standing in order to sue to get to the point where we're looking at those memos and whether, you know, what the Trump administration said versus what the Biden administration said. You need a lawsuit. And we're not sure, and no no one I talk to in the legal community is sure who exactly would have the standing to sue, and a judge would have to determine that. Yeah, I mean, so many lawsuits get dismissed for that reason, for standing. Um, And yeah, the story that you and Stu wrote uh, covered that really well, because, you know, one person you spoke to said that, you know, a loan servicer could sue, or a 
person whose income was above that cap could sue. Another person you spoke to said, no, it has to be an elected official. It has to be someone who represents the states. Um, could we see that taking, it sounds like that could take a long time to sort out in the courts if and when this does get to the courts. And in the meantime, you have people who are planning their lives around the fact that they just got a big relief or they're about to get big relief on their student loan bills. So, and I've asked this, I asked the White House this last week in asking that, you know, this is a decision that you're making that has tremendous consequences in terms of how people plan their financial futures, plan their lives. You think, you know, last week you own owed X on student loans. In the coming months, you could owe Y. What are you going to do with that savings? So it's going to be a question of who has the standing, but also in the meantime, I mean, if a court, if while we're waiting for a court battle to play out, you've got people that are need to make decisions or um, might need to resume payments. I mean, a judge needs to say, what's the legal standing? What's the legality of this? Right. And that's actually leads perfectly into the last question I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, what's next? When does the loan forgiveness take effect? Because if it takes effect immediately right now, that means that a judge would have to unforgive those loans if he or she were to declare this unconstitutional. We don't even know if unforgive is a a thing that could happen here. I I mean, there's no legal. This is not something that the Department of Education has done before in such wide masses. So we really have no idea how a judge could react. Um, The first thing for people to know is that the applications are going to open in October. There's a small sliver of Americans where the Education Department already has your information and can determine whether you meet the qualifications to get this forgiveness. But most Americans are going to have to go to studentaid.gov and fill out an application. The idea being when it opens in October that the Education Department can look at your information, determine whether you're eligible, and then provide that relief before student loan payments resume in the new year. Um, The president has pushed back and pushed back this pause on student loan payments. He says this is it. And December 31st is it. So starting next year, people have to start paying again. So the idea being that you could get relief before you have to start paying, which means you've got to apply when the application opens in October. That makes sense. But however, that means that there are a few months where someone could file a case against this and a judge could issue an injunction that would stop this in its tracks. So that would be would make a lot more sense than if the the judge issues an injunction next year when the forgiveness has already gone out, right? Yeah. And it's not like they're handing people checks. It wasn't like a stimulus check where the government had your tax return. They could determine your eligibility and send you a check in the mail. People have to apply here for the most part. And it's not like they're going to get a check in the mail that you know, you're not getting $10,000 in the mail. You're getting, here's your balance. We're going to lower it by $10,000 or we're going to lower it by $20,000. So we'll have to see what a judge comes in and says. No, that that's totally true. And you're right, because once you send out a check, once the government sends out a check, you can't get that check back. Obviously. For the most part. <laughs> for the, I mean, there are some, yeah, I guess there are some circumstances. But for the most part, yeah, the government can't get back checks. It's already mailed out. Whereas for a student loan forgiveness, that's just a number on a ledger somewhere that can be changed. Yeah. yeah. But I want to say to people that go and apply in October. I mean, forget for a second what the legal situation is. If you don't apply early, before while well, the Department of Education has time to check your eligibility, loan repayments start in January. So the idea is, is you need to apply this fall. The application is not open yet, but it'll be open in October. You need to apply this fall. 
keep the courts out of your mind for a second. We'll see what happens there, but you got to get your application in. All right, that was Courtney Rosen, uh, White House reporter and financial advisor. <laughs> not really. <laughs> not, no, no, she's not. Uh, de- don't call me for that. <laughs> don't don't call Courtney to uh, get advice on investing and whatnot. Uh, Courtney Rosen, White House reporter, thank you so much for talking. Thanks for having me. That's all we got for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at BLaw. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. When it comes to the environment, there are, let's say, a lot of moving parts. Climate change, air pollution, chemical contamination, endangered species. It's a lot. That's where Parts Per Billion comes in. Join us on the Parts Per Billion podcast every other Wednesday to sort out everything that's going on in the environment, from the courts to Congress to your backyard. Download and subscribe to Bloomberg Law's Parts Per Billion wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.